Good morning, Talon. Good afternoon, Islamabad. And good evening, Honiara from Washington, D.C. I'm Ethan Plotkin, and this is Intrigue Out Loud, your go-to audio guide to the globe. On today's show, I'm joined by Intrigue co-founder John Fowler to discuss French President Macron's visit to China and a major U.S. intelligence leak. It's all coming up. Morning, John. How are you? Feeling very good. Uh, relaxed after our, our little long weekend there. Doing well, John. It's doing well, not doing good. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so <laughs> we're talking today once again about uh, Emmanuel Macron, who we've talked about in all sorts of contexts, foreign policy, domestic policy. What's the story today? Yeah, it does seem like he kind of punches above his weight in, in the news cycle, doesn't it? He, I mean, I... I guess it's not to take away from France's sort of stature on the global stage. They're a permanent member of the Security Council, seventh largest economy, nuclear power, all that. But it does seem like he's disproportionately in the news, doesn't it? Um, arguably, arguably more than other big countries, uh, leaders of other big countries. But um, I think that probably tells us a little bit about the role that Macron wants to play in Europe uh, as, as leader of France, but, you know, the role he wants to play in Europe. Yeah, it seems like we used to talk about former German Chancellor Angela Merkel a lot, and now we talk about Macron and yeah. pay less attention to German Chancellor Olaf Scholz. Yeah, e exactly. I think it's sort of a sign that he wants to take over Germany's role as the European spokesperson and sort of cheerleader, and I think his advisors are clearly doing a pretty good job of getting him in the news cycle. Um, but anyway... I suppose the reason we're talking about him is that he travelled to China for a three-day visit last week, um, along with Ursula von der Leyen, which most people didn't know, I think. Um, she's the president of the European Commission um, and, you know, is essentially the leader of Europe in in, in a sense. Um, and ostensibly, the trip was supposed to be a mission to present a united European front between Europe's official and unofficial leaders, you know, France being the unofficial, uh, the EU being the official leaders. Uh, and the idea was to refresh Europe's relations with its third largest trading partner, China, uh, and encourage China to take a more active role in ending the war in Ukraine. Um, because, you know, Chinese President Xi Jinping seems to be the only one that Vladimir, Vladimir Putin will listen to. But in the end, any focus on the policy kind of fell by the wayside because of how the trip went down. Ah, oh, I'm on a cliff, John. So how <laughs> exactly did the trip go down? Sorry. Yeah, that was a bit clickbaity of me. Um, well, <laughs> I... From the get-go, I think it was clear that the Chinese were super excited to welcome Macron uh, and a lot less excited to welcome von der Leyen. Uh, they rolled out the red carpet for Macron. You know, the foreign minister, Chinese foreign minister welcomed him at the airport. Xi Jinping walked him through the, the, the military parades with all the pomp and circumstance and hosted him at lavish state dinners, blah, 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 blah. Von der Leyen, on the other hand, she flew in on a commercial plane for a four-hour layover in, in the Middle East and was greeted by a low-level environmental minister at the gate. Um, so it was a fairly stark <laughs> contrast. And look, the, the, the Chinese are absolute pros when it comes to throwing subtle shade via protocol snubs. Um, and frankly, the Chinese reception was pretty clearly designed to be a uh, humiliation to, to von der Leyen, I think. And why would they want to humiliate von der Leyen? Well, I think for one thing, she gave a speech a few days ago uh, on, well, late last month, actually, calling for Europe to take a bolder approach to China, which she said had become more oppressive at home and more assertive abroad. So pre pretty strong language. Um, they didn't like that. And, and some commentators think that another reason they treated Macron like a king and, and von der Leyen like a pauper was to play to Macron's ego. So you have this kind of, they were angry with von der Leyen and they wanted to big up 
Macron, as it were. Um, and I think ultimately that's because China doesn't want a united Europe. It would rather have individual relationships with each European country. Uh, you know, far easier to play them off against each other or divide and conquer, as I think your guest last week, Dave Sharma, put it, which, by the way, that was a, a fantastic podcast, so everyone should go listen to that. But yeah, anyway, China's approach has seemed to work. Macron spoke very cheerfully of the France-Sino relationship um, and gave a fairly remarkable interview to Politico where he downplayed the threat uh, to Taiwan or the, down, the threat of a Chinese invasion of Taiwan, as it were. Um, and talked about becoming less dependent on the US dollar. It seems like he's, you know, welcoming the emergence of a, of a multipolar world order. Um, and I think the net effect of the comments was to give the sense that uh, France, or at least Macron, is rather unhappy with US foreign policy at the moment. It was a remarkable interview. There was even, a dis- I don't know if you saw this, there was a disclaimer at the bottom of the article uh, that the, the conversation had gone through the French president's office's censors. So they cut things. We don't know what they cut, but presumably it was even more remarkable than what showed up on the paper. But this isn't exactly new, though, right? I mean, Macron's already tried to sort of chart an independent path on relations with Russia. Yeah, I probably wouldn't say independent, but perhaps more of a middle path, a balancing path. Um, In the run up to the war, Macron and Putin spoke fairly frequently um, and they continue to chat semi-regularly. Um, And it's clear that Macron wants to position himself and France as kind of like the problem solvers, uh, the Western partner that could kind of balance the US's harsher tone and rhetoric. Um, And I think it looks like Macron's trying to do the same with China. Um, You know, ultimately, it's Macron's job to pursue what he views as France's national interests. And he clearly wants to rebalance France's relationship with the US and China. Uh, plenty of policy experts and not a few of France's allies think that's fairly naive, though. Yeah. So how how did Macron's allies respond? They're not happy. Uh, you know, take this with a grain of salt, obviously. But U.S. Senator Marco Rubio suggested on Twitter that the U.S. should focus all its energies on China if Europe wasn't willing to uh, and let Europe handle the Russia issue. Uh, but he's not alone. And lots of members of the European Parliament distanced themselves from Macron and made it clear that he doesn't speak for the rest of Europe. Um, and I think it's important to be clear that Macron's idea of strategic autonomy isn't particularly revolutionary, right? Uh, Europe's always wanted to distinguish its foreign policy from America's, and, and probably rightly so. The problem is that many people think that Putin played Macron like a fiddle in the lead up to the invasion of Ukraine. Whether that's fair or not, uh, Macron has, I think, lost some public credibility as kind of like the adversary whisperer, the kind of person who can be that credible interpreter and negotiator between the West and China and Russia. Um, And, you know, interestingly, I think it's China's not stupid. They know this. So I uh, uh, just after Macron had sort of downplayed the likelihood of a Chinese invasion of Taiwan, China started three days of military exercises around Taiwan, which, you know, only adds to the sense that Macron is a little out of his depth. But I guess it's better to try and bridge the gaps and look stupid than uh, to not try at all, right? Today's show is sponsored by Todoist. Todoist is the easiest way to organize your work and your life. All you have to do is download the app to help build detailed to-do lists to keep on top of everything you need to do and to help delegate tasks to coworkers. I use it every day to keep on top of my schedule. Check out the link in the show notes to learn more. 
All right, welcome back. Next up, we're talking about a major U.S. intelligence leak. So, John, what's the story? Yeah, so this story goes that uh, last Friday, news agencies started to pick up on this treasure trove of U.S. military and intelligence documents that have been circulating on social media platforms for at least a few weeks. Um, you know, I think it's interesting that these documents have been in the public domain for, you know, quite a while before the New York Times and some other agencies found them. Presumably, the U.S. government has been aware of this leak for, for some time before it became this common knowledge. Um, and, you know, speculation only, but perhaps they asked the New York Times and other agencies to sit on the story for a while so they could make sure that there wouldn't be any immediate harm from these leaks. But, you know, obviously that's speculation. Officially, the US government is still investigating their, their documents' authenticity. But um, if these documents are real, that means that there's either a spy operating in the Pentagon or a Pentagon employee has leaked some very highly classified uh, classified material, which, you know, either way is a huge deal. Um I think this leak will make spying a lot more difficult for the US. It could put some spies and their sources in danger. Um, and it will curtail intelligence sharing with allies and force the government to reallocate resources from intelligence to counterintelligence. So, you know, not great. Right. So what do the documents show? The documents are broadly about the Russo-Ukraine war, uh, but I think they can be broken into two main categories. The spying that the US has done on its allies and the spying that it has done on its adversaries. Okay. So both sound... Incredibly intriguing, but let's start with the latter, you know, the the spying on adversaries. Obviously, the main adversary in this case is Russia. Um, and the documents show what I think a lot of us had suspected, uh, and that's that the US has some pretty incredible access to information about the Russian military. Some of that's probably gathered through signals intelligence, you know, intercepted communications, that kind of thing. Um, and I think some of the other documents have been gathered through human sources inside the Russian military and its paramilitary supporters, or at least that's what we can speculate. Um, for the most part, the documents seem to show that, you know, things that have already kind of come out into the public domain, stats that show Russian casualties are around 223,000 dead and injured, reports that show how badly Russian forces have performed in their current assault um, on the city of Bakhmut, you know, things that were kind of widely known but not officially confirmed. There was some new stuff as well, like the Wagner mercenary group that was, um, the, the document said it was attempting to purchase Turkish weapons through Malian intermediaries, which I think was new, or at least I hadn't seen that anywhere. What else, what else was new? What else didn't we know beforehand? Yeah, well, this is where it kind of gets problematic, uh, at least for the US intel community, uh, because lots of intelligence was about US allies. Just to name a few, some documents suggest that Israel's spy agency, Mossad, was involved in the protests against uh, the Israeli government's judicial reform, which, you know, I should mention all of the parties involved deny. Some other uh, documents suggest that the US has been spying on Ukrainian President Zelensky and provide a glimpse into the Ukrainian military uh, military struggles. There's also a report in uh, Tuesday's New York Times that Seoul is particularly outraged by the leak and that the South Korean president is coming under fire for his support of the South Korean-US alliance. Uh, I think the most surprising one that I saw was a report that Egypt, you know, a, a pretty staunch American ally in the Middle East, was considering supplying Russia with uh, munitions. Wow. I mean, it, it seems to me that a bunch of this stuff must have been known among foreign intelligence services, right? I mean, the, the real threat, would you say, is with these leaks uh, isn't necessarily the content, but more the public revelation of what's going on inside the U.S. intelligence 
service? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You know, obviously we're speculating here because we're not inside the intelligence community, but even if we assume some of these countries knew a lot of what was going on, they have to appear publicly to be upset. And obviously, if they didn't know what was going on, then they'll be very genuinely upset. Um, but either way, the result was that by this Monday or the past Monday, Washington was fielding calls from officials all over the world who were trying to figure out who did this and how the US plans to stop you know, leaks happening going forward. I think the key here is that this kind of leak compromises everyone, right? Uh, it makes the US less likely to share information with its allies for fear of a leak. It also, of course, makes the allies less eager to share information with the US, and that damages the whole network of alliances the US needs to continue supporting Ukraine. I think we'll probably never understand the full damage this leak has and will continue to cause, but it's clearly a very big deal. This is why I exclusively use paper documents. That's all. I, I don't have any technology on me, but thanks, John. Thanks, Ethan. <laughs> Here are a couple other stories we're tracking today. The International Court of Justice will rule on a border dispute between Venezuela and Guyana despite Venezuelan objections. Venezuela claims the oil-rich region in question as its own, though Guyana has controlled and administered it since 1899. The Chadian ambassador in Berlin has been expelled by the German government a few days after Chad's government expelled Germany's ambassador. The ambassador was criticizing a court's decision that would have allowed Chad's interim military leader to run for political office. And that's going to do it for me. By the way, we briefly mentioned that China and Europe are big trade partners, and they are. But that relationship is a lot deeper than most people realize and continues to grow bigger each year. Check out the International Intrigue newsletter to see which sectors are growing the fastest. In the meantime, I'm Ethan Plotkin. See you on Friday. <laughs>